Hello and welcome to another episode of Travel with a Chance of Murder, the travel and true crime podcast where we take you through the tips and tricks of visiting destinations around the globe and follow it up with a true crime tale to try and scare you away a little bit. I'm Cassidy and I'll be your spooktacular storyteller, the host that walks you through each city or country's terrifying tale of true crime. On the other end of the mic, we have Allie, our travel guru, who takes us off of the bean path and helps us explore things we've never heard of, but definitely need to experience. Welcome back. You've made it to episode two. Woo! <laughs> Continuing. Where are we going today, Cassidy? We are going to the beautiful city of lights, Paris, France. Woo, woo, woo. Cassidy, when was the last time you were in Paris? I've only been to Paris once. I was 16. We did the group trip going with our French class. So we did kind of a half immersion, half um, being the tour sightseers. We stayed with a home family for a while. And then we went and had, I think, four or five days in the city as a big group. Amazing. So you can help me with my French pronunciation, right? I cannot. (laughs) (laughs) That's all my mom. When, When were you there? I was there two years ago in the spring, which I think that I've heard mixed um, feelings about Paris from people that I've talked to. Some people love it like I do, and some people have a bad taste in their mouth. And what I've kind of picked up from that is the best time to go is in the fall or in the spring because it's so hot in the summer and that people sometimes don't have as great of a time and there's so many more crowds there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely that sweet spot shoulder season to hit when you're traveling to make sure you're not getting those giant crowds. I think the best time is probably like that April, May before all the schools let out and things get yeah. just swamped with people after people. But interesting, I didn't know that it was super hot. So that's something yeah. that we're learning already from That's you. what I've been told. Yeah, hot and stinky <laughs> in the summer is what they have told me. I've heard too that people kind of are either way I've heard a lot of like oh the city's really dirty Mm -hmm. um which I did not experience I didn't experience that at all either so what I wanted to do is kind of get a sense and a feeling of you know the small side streets of Paris and shout out to Rick Steves I love him I think he is incredible Um, He has a walk where you can download the podcast and he's in your ear telling you all the cool things that you're walking by. And on one of his walks that I listened to, he took me to Rue Cleur. And so Rue Cleur is this tiny little street that has a cheese shop and a bread shop and a fresh produce market and all and a wine store and just uh, you can go into all these very small homey feeling stores and get your bread and your cheese and your strawberries and some champagne and it's very close to Eiffel Tower so the way I did it was I grabbed all those things I had a picnic blanket and I took myself to the Eiffel Tower and I sat and I had a great picnic with a beautiful view Um, I think that that's just a fun way to do an afternoon in Paris uh, and we could I... probably do a whole episode about just French cheeses and how great. Oh, exactly. <laughs> French and French cheese. wines and French bread. <laughs> it reminds me um, of the uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley episode where, or not yes! episode, Passport to Paris, where they're fighting with the big baguettes in front of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> That's actually exactly what I looked like. <laughs> 
I, I, I don't know about you. I didn't go up to the top of the Eiffel Tower. We, we ate at the Eiffel Tower. So we went up and had that. I don't remember it well. I, I know that. Was it worth it? Did you enjoy seeing all the views? I would say there's better ways to see the views. Um, probably, I think, climbing some of the cathedrals and looking from the bell towers are probably the way I would go about seeing it. But, of course, I'm sure you'll get into seeing the Eiffel Tower at night. Did you see it at night? All lit up? Yes. The Eiffel Tower at night is a must-do. It has a beautiful, these lights, and there's kind of a light show where they blink and they flash, and it's so gorgeous. Um, Going off of your point of going to the top of the Eiffel Tower while that can be really fun I think that a better view of the city is going up to the Sacre Coeur which is a church way up top on the hillside in the 18th arrondissement and this church is first of all gorgeous it's white it's just big and grand because it's on the top of a hill so it kind of sucks to get up to but once you're there the views are stunning And my tip is to go at sunset because the sky is all lit up. There's tons of people there just sitting on the steps, hanging out. There's guys walking around selling bottles of beer. You can drink outside legally. It's Paris. Um, And that was really fun for me. I loved that evening. It was probably my most magical part of Paris. You definitely have to be ready to climb, though. I remember that there's a lot of stairs. And even being that (laughs) 16-year-old, I play a lot of sports. (laughs) I remember being exhausted at the top. So definitely, if you plan on doing it, um, pack a pair of runners or just fashionable tennis shoes because Mm -hmm. you cannot do that in heels. No. And as important as fashion (laughs) is in Paris... (laughs) <laughs> you want to make sure you can see all of those um, beautiful views that Ali's talking about. Absolutely. And Paris is so stinking big that you will want to be wearing walking shoes anyway if you're touring the city just because it is so huge. I can't, I couldn't get over how big the city was when I was there. Absolutely. I try my best to like not have to rely on public transportation when I see a city because I want to soak as much in as possible, but Paris, it's just not doable. (laughs) And luckily, the Paris, the metro system is so reliable, but if it wasn't, you would be stuck in one spot and couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. After you're done visiting the Sacré-Cœur and you see the beautiful sunset, a cool thing that you can do is you can go back down the hill and explore the 18th and the 9th arrondissements, which is where the Moulin Rouge is, the famous theater as well as a lot of restaurants and bars, and there's some nightlife out there too. So it's a cool place to see Parisians in their natural habitat, as one would say. Another little secret of Paris that I really enjoy is on Fridays after 6 p.m., going to the Louvre is free for anyone under the age of 27. And I think that is a really special thing to take advantage of because not only is it free, if you're under the age of 27, but also there's so many fewer crowds because, you know, it's dinner time and you kind of feel like you have the Louvre to yourself. I remember when I was in Paris, I met up with one of my friends there and we were just walking to the Louvre and catching up. And at one point, my friend looks at me and she goes, Allie, we're walking through the Louvre right now and we're not even looking at anything. And it was crazy because <laughs> we're just walking around the most famous museum in the world. That says a lot, too, about the size of the crowds. Like, you're not dodging people. You're able to maintain that conversation. Absolutely. 
yeah, it felt empty. Most importantly, you're not fighting people to get your picture, your selfie in front of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> exactly. There were definitely still people around her, as I'm sure there are at all hours that it's open. But it was a lot easier to get my picture. Another thing that was kind of off the beaten path for me in Paris is towards the end of my trip, it was a Monday, and I was planning to go to Versailles. But Versailles closed on Mondays, which I did not plan my stay in Paris accordingly. So all of a sudden, I had my last day in Paris and nothing to do. So I made my way down to the 5th arrondissement, and I sat at a little cafe, had a croissant, had some coffee, and tried to kind of plan out what I was going to do for the day. Um, I had done a lot of research before I went to Paris, and I heard that there was this botanical gardens in the middle of the city called the Jardin des Plantes, like the Garden of Plants. <laughs> Great name. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, it's in the area, might as well go check it out. And I went, and there were these beautiful stately buildings, this gorgeous park, and then there was a zoo. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't like zoos. I think that they're boring. <laughs> I've seen the animals. Boo-hoo, it's a lion. Okay. But (laughs) for some reason, I don't know, the 10 euros were burning a hole in my pocket and I decided to pay the entrance fee and go in. And this zoo is called the Menagerie. And it was the coolest zoo I have ever been to in my whole freaking life. It had I think I looked it up. It has 200 species of animals. A third of them are endangered. So there were snow leopards, there were red pandas, there were orangutans, all these really cool animals. There were tons of birds, there were amphibians and reptiles. But the coolest thing about this zoo is I saw animals that I literally did not know existed. And it blew my mind. What an amazing sanctuary that it's like in the middle of the city too. And they're all. And I'm sure no one, like, I don't think any tourists really ever go to it because you don't go to Paris to go to a zoo. (laughs) But it was such a good find. Um, And now I'm going to tell you about four of the coolest animals that I saw while I was there that blew my mind. And I hope that you guys Google after you listen to this. Yes. So the first thing I found was something called a Nilgo, N-I-L-G-O. Just kidding. That's my pronunciation. That's not how it's spelled. (laughs) (laughs) The coolest thing I saw was a Nilgo, which is this big animal that's almost the size of a horse, but kind of has a hump like a camel. And it's from India. And I was blown away by it. I had never seen something like that in my life. Then the next thing that I saw was something called a Sichuan Tolkien. And this Tolkien is, I would describe it kind of like a, a very small yak, but it's like a yak mixed with a koala bear. So it has the face, I mean, it has the body of, you know, some sort of bovine creature, but the face looks like a koala bear. What? They're from China. I know, it was super weird. They're from China. It, was it looked cool. like two animals just mushed together? Yeah, it was so, oh. so weird. You'll have to Google it. It was strange. (laughs) The next thing I saw was a helmeted cassowary, which is this beautiful bird. It's humongous. It's like the size, well, not as big as an ostrich because I've never seen an ostrich, but it was very big. And it's this big multicolored bird with the gobble of a turkey. It was from New Guinea. It was beautiful. So many colors. 
And there was also this goat called a markhor, which is a goat from the Himalayas. And it has these big spiral horns that go up and they were really pretty. Anyway, that was me geeking out about animals. <laughs> but I was just, my jaw was to the floor the whole time I was in this zoo in Paris. It's it's funny the, how cool animals can be. I remember yeah, just <laughs> even like doing the safari at Animal Kingdom would be one of my favorites at Disney. And you get so into it, like learning the speech behind it. And you're like at the point where you can almost say it yourself. And then you're looking for new animals you haven't seen before. So no, I, I definitely get the geeking out <laughs> over animals. It was such a random thing to do in Paris, but if you have an extra two hours, I would so highly recommend. Another fun part of Paris, and one of the most famous parts of Paris, is, of course, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is, as you know, one of the most famous cathedrals in the world. Uh, Technically, its full name is Notre Dame de Paris, which means Our Lady of Paris. And... It's on an island in the middle of the Seine in the fourth arrondissement. Um, it's where, near where all the gorgeous Parisian apartments are. It's in a very wealthy part of the city. Um, but it's definitely worth a stop just for the photo opportunity. I mean, it was pre-fire, RIP Notre Dame. <laughs> um, but Notre Dame is actually the geographical center point of Paris, and there's a little plaque that you can find in the square, which is really cool. Um, Notre Dame was not always as famous as it is now. It was actually vandalized during the French Revolution, and people would sleep in there, and it was really just a storage place. And then Napoleon decided to have his coronation ceremony there in the early 1800s, and you know, that kind of got it back onto the path, but not really. And it wasn't until Victor Hugo wrote his book that The Hunchback of Notre Dame was based off of that it really came back into popularity and was finally restored to what it has been pre-fire. I don't know why, but Napoleon is one of those figures in history that just like screams out to me. Like I would have loved to be alive when he was doing his conquest and his ruling. Like I think to be a French citizen Maybe it's just because I, I have that patriotic feel and I'm like, yeah, hoorah. But I don't know. He's so interesting to me. The whole dynamic of him going out, taking over all these lands. And maybe it's because I watched Night, Night at the Museum a little bit ago. And he was one of the <laughs> ones from the, the Smithsonian one. Oh, I forgot about that. So he was featured. That's such a good movie. But Such a good movie. So that's interesting that he had his coronation in the cathedral. Yes, and he actually crowned himself. (laughs) Which just seems on brand. I felt where when I was in Paris, I stayed in the 10th. And I thought that was nice because I was far enough out of the middle touristy part of the city that like my hostel had a bar at the bottom where like actual Parisians came and hung out. Um, And so... I was able to meet some of them and get real tips on how to see the city. So, I mean, Paris can be done so many different ways. You can do the very lavish, beautiful luxury side of Paris, or you could do more of a budget Paris and do hostels. The nice thing is, is you can do it different ways all throughout your life. And it's a city you can always come back to because I feel like it's different every single time. I love that. Yeah. I think you also made a good point there. And it's a good travel tip just to people listening that the best information you'll get about a city is from the locals that live in it, breathe in it, experience it every day. 
Absolutely. That's my favorite way to explore a city is to honestly sit in a cafe or restaurant and either ask the waitress or person who works there and just say, hey, what is cool in the surrounding blocks? After studying abroad, I made like a scrapbook of just random tickets from experiences and one of the pages has just this little note card it's just a random blank piece of paper from someone cafe worker writing a recommendation down for me he recommended some random like ruins to go explore that's awesome that's where I get my best recommendations and Rick Steves at Rick Steves I love you (laughs) shameless plug So those are my uh, tips and tricks, just a very abridged version, but some tips and tricks for visiting Paris. Those are great. I like that there's uh, that kind of fate threw you for a loop and you had to to figure out, okay, I had this plan. That's out the window. <laughs> now what am I going right. to do? <laughs> and I definitely wish that I had gone to Versailles. It's totally on my list the next time I go to Paris, but man, that zoo was so worth it. (laughs) We didn't make it to Versailles either. So I don't know what I'm missing. But uh, I do know I'm missing quite a bit from not going to the zoo or the gardens. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's only episode two, but I wanted to take a step away from true crime and turn to an urban legend um and it's interesting the timing of our episode because as you mentioned notre dame burned down and it actually burned down a year ago april 15th so it's coming no way just about a perfect year since it's um burned down so i wanted to do this legend kind of in homage to it um and also because the murders that i like read the taglines to freaked me out too much to (laughs) do a deep dive so we are covering the urban legend of Notre Dame and the Devil's Doors. Yes. Ooh, yeah, I like it. Devils. Yes, and it doesn't seem like things that should go together, which is what really intrigued me into looking up the story. Um, but yeah, like you said, the construction of the cathedral um, was very strategic in the placement of it, and it lasted um, two centuries, so it took forever to make this beautiful building. That's crazy. Um, and its location in the center of Paris was strategic in a couple reasons. One, of course, because it's the middle of the giant city, but also because the site of the um, cathedral was a former Roman temple. So it's a mm. temple to Diana, the goddess of hunting. But it, And then even before it was a Roman temple, it was a area of worship that the Gauls used for... Um, it didn't go into like what they worshiped, but it was a stone pillar that they worshiped on. So there were centuries and centuries on centuries of worship that happened in this area. So it has a giant history of religion. But the construction of the cathedral began in 1163 under Parisian Bishop Maurice du Soule. I apologize now to my mom. I'm going to butcher tons of French pronunciations. Yes, you raised me better. And I'm going to probably butcher them anyway. So sorry. (laughs) But um, the Parisian bishop, Maurice de Sully, um, needed to commission these beautiful doors for the cathedral. So he ended up hiring a young man 
with the name Bizcornet. And they don't tell me his first name or his last name. They just tell me his he was called Bizcornet. So he's a talented it's kinda <laughs> like kinda like Beyonce. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> or Shakira. <laughs> yes. Or Prince, one of those you don't even need another name. <laughs> you exactly. know who they are with one word. <laughs> uh Bizcornet was a talented blacksmith. Um and of course, he was impressed and like really excited to have the re- responsibility to make the side doors of the cathedral. But with this came giant stress because this was a huge chance to like either have his name go up in like fame or infamy because he could totally do a terrible job. And it's a huge um, focal point for the community. Um, so, of course, the task is a her- Herculean one. He had months and months of slaving over the fiery furnaces of his workshop. And he tried his best to find an apprentice because the job was such a big deal. He worked night and day by himself. Um, but there were no one who really volunteered to help him. Um, until one day, he had a knock on his door. Ooh. And the call was finally answered. Um, but when the door opened to have this person come help him, they just found him laying asleep on the floor. So the oh. urban legend goes, when he woke up from this slumber, he found the doors of the cathedral already finished in place. Yeah, what? so it's that's, that's, this is where it kind of gets weird to me, because the story switches from like first person narrative where it talks about how He's so into it. He's working hard. He's obsessing. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. He knows it's a big deal. And then all of a sudden, it's like, there's a knock on his door. He wakes up. The doors are done. But but it sounds like there was a knock on his door and he was still yeah. sleeping. How did he exactly. hear the knock? Did he That's why the it's door? like, who kind of omnipresent? Where's this point of view coming from? Apparently, as the story says, contacted the devil because he was such in a desperate state to finish the doors um, and the doors for, of course, it being like the 1300s, they were just too good. <laughs> so clearly it must have been the devil. So clearly he needed some <laughs> other hope. <laughs> There's a line that I read that I thought was really good. And it, it said, um, this was after all the 1300s. So magic and myth were as real as limestone itself that my friend is true writing um so yeah the rumor spread throughout paris that this work of the doors couldn't have been done with mortal hands and people began to kind of whisper and gossip that he had to have sold his soul to the devil um in exchange for this masterful work of these beautiful doors man the 13th century was just some fun time yeah i mean is that (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I'm a redhead or if I actually read it somewhere, but I think that like around the dark ages, like redheads would get persecuted for being witches just because we had red hair and like fair skin. Uh, probably because you sold your soul of to course. the devil, man. We were in cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the rumors of him working with the devil just continued to spread like wildfire when the doors wouldn't function. So they install the doors on the cathedral, and then they couldn't figure out how to open the doors. <laughs> how stupid do you have to be to not figure out how to open right. a door? Right, and I think what's even more stupid is 
as the legend goes, they installed it. It didn't work. And they were like, meh, we got other planning to do. <laughs> we'll worry about it later. So they just moved on? So they on. just move on. And <laughs> all of a sudden, it's opening day. <laughs> and so, okay, hold on. Time out. Time out. So they're just like, huh, these doors won't open, but don't Don't worry. We have other stuff to do. We'll get to these later. And some intern forgot to mention it to their boss that the doors wouldn't open and it's opening day and they, what? Yeah. Little little Johnny the intern's not going to make it into the clergy. Yeah, clearly. There's a giant crowd. The elite's there. Holy members of the church are there. Um, The priest is doing all the blessings of the cathedral. He walks up to um, Viz Bernays' doors, does a little prayer, throws holy water on the doors, and despite no one knowing how to open the doors, once holy water hits them, the doors are said to, of course, open on their own. <laughs> of, of course. I really feel like this is factual. So this spectacle, of course, cements the urban legend in history, um, along with the fact that Viz Cornet died shortly after the project was installed at the cathedral. Ah. Yes. So call it um, the devil coming to collect what he's owed. Call it stress having terrible <laughs> conditions on the body. <laughs> call it the 13th and century. Terrible, yeah, terrible health protocols all around. <laughs> he passes away. And of course, all these um, things happen with the door not working then the holy water and then opening of course it's an urban legend so take it with a grain of salt um i guess we'll never yeah know. mystery still surrounds the doors um modern day ironsmiths can't figure out how this beautiful uh, magnitude was created with the tools of the 1300s um which is interesting oh. and they yeah so that i mean gives some credit to <laughs> to the legend uh, some people have claimed to see the apparition of the iron worker. So some people see someone who re- reckon- resembles what he would have looked like sitting in front of the doors that he created. And what I think is the most interesting, I'll share my screen so you can see it, um, is the doors are said to have like a homage to the devil that these swirls. Can you see the picture? The swirls apparently yeah. are said to resemble like the number six six six. Oh, I see it. Oh, y'all have yeah. to Google this. It's, it's totally interesting. There. It does kind of look like like it is there. So th- that gave me kind of some pause. And what's even more interesting, and I don't know if this is just the writer of the legend being genius or if it's um, all the more adding to the truth, but the name Biz Cornet is a play on words in the French language. Um, when you break it down, biz means like two or like bicycle in English is like the two wheels. Um, and then cornet is derived to be like horned or horns. So when you put it all together, um, the man with two horns commissioned the door for the cathedral of Notre Dame. Well, that my friend is freaky yeah so okay all right well now we have learned all we need to know hopefully the construction can continue so uh, people can go back and see the beautiful cathedral or um, the new beauty of the cathedral 
because yes, it is definitely the tying together point of the city. Um, But yeah, that's the story behind Notre Dame and the double man. That's crazy. I that makes me want to go back to Notre Dame even more. Like the last story made me not want to go to Budapest because of the vampires, (laughs) but this story makes me want to go. Yeah, you want to take out your magnifying glass and look at the swirls. Maybe take some of the holy water from the church and see what happens if you give it a little <laughs> dab on the door. A little pat. Um, but yeah, we'll go back to crime next week. I just wanted to, I found the legend. That was a good break. I liked it. That was good. The question is, where to go next? Where should we go next? We need to put a break on Europe, I think. Yeah, Europe's done for a little bit. We've been to other places too, I promise. <laughs> we're not basic white girls. We are. Well, we are. But Especially when you were talking about your story and you're talking about how you stopped at the cafe. I was like, just thinking to myself, oh, the Europe coffee is so good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Everything in Europe is so but good. Why don't we hit um, South America? Yeah, I was thinking Costa Rica. Costa Rica sounds good. I haven't been there. Ooh, you're in for a treat. I'm sure. I can't wait to see what you dig up about the crimes of Costa Rica's well, past. We'll find something. Hopefully not something too current so we don't teeter, <laughs> teeter everyone away. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Serial Sightseers. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Stay tuned. On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant day.